Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we dig into the soccer questions you never knew you had. Today, we're talking about the biggest prize in all of soccer. If you don't include all the big prizes that soccer teams win, the Ballon d'Or. What is the Ballon d'Or? How is it awarded? When did it come to prominence? And why do we care or not care about it? My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have our golden ball, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, buddy. Thank you for that. Hello. We have our golden brain, Graham Rutherford. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. And we have our golden boy, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> hey, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, gents, we're going to be talking all about the Ballon d'Or, which translates literally as golden ball. It is literally an award statue that is a golden ball. Graham, tell us a little more about the the Ballon d'Or and what exactly it is, please. Yeah, so the, the Ballon d'Or is a annual award handed out by France Football, which is a, a French soccer magazine. And it's awarded to the best player in men's soccer in the case of the, uh, the Ballon d'Or and in the case of the women's Ballon d'Or in women's soccer, the best player for that year. Um, and the women's Ballon d'Or was first awarded in 2018. And the Ballon d'Or for the men's game dates all the way back to 1956. And there's a bit of confluence when it comes to the Ballon d'Or, Graham, and the FIFA World Player of the Year. And there's been some divisions over who presides over which award, right? Yeah, that's right. So from um, 1956 to 2000. Ten, I believe the Ballon d'Or was was um, handed out by France Football, as I say that 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 French soccer magazine. Then from 2010 to t- 2015, it, the award was merged with the the FIFA wor- uh, Best Player in the World award. Um, it became the FIFA Ballon d'Or for that period, and then in 2016, it reverted back to being purely France Football's awards and FIFA rebranded their awards and they created the best awards and they have a a best men's player of the year and a best women's player of the year and a whole load of other awards that are related to that to that ceremony and 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 to that um awards structure so yeah they, they have kind of merged and and uncoupled at certain times over history. Yes, there's been a conscious uncoupling between France Football, the prominent French soccer magazine, and FIFA. They have had a relationship in the past with this award, but they do not anymore with the the FIFA, the best men's player award, wonderfully named as it is, um, sprouting up in 2016. Um, as to how the Ballon d'Or is awarded, Joe, it has changed over the years. It is essentially a popularity contest. Um, previously, it's been based on the votes of soccer journalists uh, f- from France Football predominantly. That changed, and it was um, also based on votes from national team managers and captains, and you saw the results of those published um, uh, after the fact, which is always very interesting reading. That's the best bit. Yeah, it's always the most fun bit when you see the captain of Tuvalu and who he voted for for his favourite player of all time, Graham. You're quite right there. But now, Joe, um, looking into it, um, this is something I actually only discovered in researching this show. They've actually changed it back. It's no longer team managers and captains who vote for the Ballon d'Or. That changed in 2016 when the best FIFA men's player award, I hate saying that, came along. And that's how that is voted for. Team managers and captains vote for the best men's player award. Ballon d'Or, Joe, back to being voted for by journalists. 
So first of all, I'd like to think that the same folks who named the the FIFA awards, like FIFA's the best awards, I'd like to think that those folks also named the MLS's back tournament. That just makes <laughs> me happy. And they feel about equal in terms of their level of creativity. Ryan, you're right. The Ballon d'Or currently, both on the men's and women's side, is voted on by journalists. And I, it's a broad spectrum of folks from all across the world. Not weirdly, not one for every FIFA nation. I don't know why they just don't boost it up to every country that has a registered international team within FIFA. That's a little bit strange to me. But I, I just desperately want to know who these people are. I want to know their identities. We've got to have one in the U.S., right? Surely there's got to be someone here who's voting on the Ballon d'Or. I, I don't know who that person is. <laughs> Taylor, is it you? Is it you? I wish it were me. I know I have never been, uh, given the opportunity to vote for anything, including MLS stuff. Joe, have you, have you gotten to vote on MLS awards? Yeah, I voted this year. See? I, there we go. This, this is the there same, this is the same issue for me with those <laughs> awards and, and with the Ballon d'Or. I just find it incredible. I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but I find it incredibly challenging to figure out how to vote for these things and, and how to decide who the best player is. What does that mean? Everybody has a slightly different way of looking at it, right? So it, it's a, it's a struggle for me. So I guess you could say I got to vote for the MLS uh, awards MVP, coach of the year, all that stuff, but it was not my favorite task, to be completely I, I, honest. I'd love it if Taylor had a vote and, but it was anonymous and you're just looking through the list of each votes and it's going Lewandowski, Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, Jorginho, Tyler Adams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's how you, you would tell. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be Tyler Adams. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It is interesting. Looking back at the 2019 (laughs) awards, um, there was a single journalist voted from each of the 176 voting nations. As you say, Joe, not every FIFA member gets a vote, and uh, that is quite puzzling as to why not. But hey, France football, thems make the rules. Um, And there were, um, as I say, the list of who voted for whom has been published in 2019. The Sri Lankan voter, for example, selected Trent Alexander-Arnold as his number one player in the world. Not many others <laughs> did that. Very interesting. There's also interesting, um, Graham, is the qualifications that are considered by the jury when they are voting. Uh, the three main points are individual and collective performances of the mm-hmm. winner during the year, player class, in parentheses, talent and fair play, and <laughs> overall judgment of the player's yeah. character. So it's about how great a guy you are as well, Graham. Uh, it's just a nonsense, isn't it? But that oh. last part as well is interesting because that, that's the thing that, that sees Messi when it, this year when there, there isn't a... I mean, you could argue Lewandowski had been the best player in the world by quite a distance, but there, there maybe wasn't a, a totally outstanding candidate. So that, that third point just means Messi is always going to be in the mix by this criteria, which I'm not sure is entirely fair or what this award should be for. It's, it's a weird one. <laughs> I mean, how, how do we decide player class? What does that, <laughs> what does that mean? I just, it, I, my brain hurts. Guys. I it think doesn't, actually, it Joe, sense. you're onto something here because I think if you do bad TikTok dances like an old dad, like you're you Robert Lewandowski, you can't you get, win. You, you lower class points basically <laughs> yeah. for that. So that's why, that's Lewandowski did yeah. it to himself. He did. He, did. he really did. Self-inflicted. Uh, each jury <laughs> member um, selects their top five players for the award at present. Uh, the total point, there's a point system. Is it, Graham, is it six points for the top and four? And is that how it goes? Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and those points are then tallied up and calculated and we get to our winner. So in 2021, Messi got a total of 613 points. Bobby Lewandowski and his TikToks got 580. Jorginho got 460. And now, now I'm thinking about who the US voter is. Is it Grant Wall? Probably Grant Wall, right? 
I want to know, guys. We got to find out. We should have done some digging before this, man. <laughs> we should have Grant, done. Grant, Grant feels accurate, but yeah. that was that would be when he was connected to Sports Illustrated. I don't know who they would say was like the most prominent soccer. Maybe like I wonder if it's Paul Tenorio. Could it be Paul Tenorio at this point? Oh. Could be. Could be anybody, Taylor. We should find out. We should find <laughs> Stephen out. Goff. <laughs> Stephen Goff is probably also a safe a safe nominee if we're throwing up most likely people. Indeed. Yeah. Um, well, it is a convoluted process, as we have proven here, the voting and the uh, the origin of the Ballon d'Or Award. We're going to take a very quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk more about the history, its prestige, and maybe some of the names we'd like to pick up uh, from its history. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. Slow is right if you're on vacation, but when it comes to taking control of your financials, your inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more, slow is not ideal. In fact, I would say it's the opposite of ideal, and that is why now is the time to make the switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time. No matter how big your business grows, failing to switch to NetSuite will leave you stuck trying to make sense of your books while your competitors sprint ahead. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be stuck behind. It doesn't go well. Uh, unless you're a tortoise and a hare, unless those competitors are very arrogant. But if they're not, you don't want to be behind. You want to be ahead. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. And right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com slash sports right now. Get special financing at netsuite.com slash sports. netsuite.com slash sports. Thank you very much to NetSuite for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to the show. Soccer 101, we are back. We are talking Ballon d'Or. Um, Graham, as we mentioned, this award conceived by France Football. Tell us a little bit more about the history of this wonderful individual award. Yeah, so specifically, the Ballon d'Or was the brainchild of a journalist um, called Gabriel Hano. Um, I hope I've pronounced that cor- correctly. He was L'Equipe editor. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, L'Equipe is a, a, a big uh, national newspaper in France, and they have a, I believe they own France football, don't they? There's, there's a link up there, so that that's where that comes from. He, according to my research, also thought up the European Cup which is uh, not a bad thing to have your your name attached to, I guess. It's better wow. to have your name attached to that than the Super League, anyway. <laughs> and the award was uh, handed out for the first time in 1956, and Stanley Matthews was the first winner of the inaugural uh, Graham, Ballon d'Or. Sir Stanley Matthews to you. Go on. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Sir Stanley Matthews. Second place, Alfredo De Stefano, who is the guy uh, who um, is now a training ground for Real Madrid. And, um, yeah, we've already mentioned the, the kind of the merging that happened between 2010 and 2015 with, uh, FIFA. That was then, um, that unraveled after 2015, uh, the re- agreement ended in 2016. We've already covered that. Um, but originally the Ballon d'Or was awarded only to players from Europe and was widely known as the European Footballer of the Year Award. Mm. And then in 1995, it was expanded to include players from all over the world. Um, and from 2007, all professional footballers were eligible to be nominated for the for the Ballon d'Or. Taylor, I think one of the things that interests me about the Ballon d'Or is that it was started by a magazine and it kind mm. of shows how the media has uh, sway over this award that was commandeered by FIFA eventually and, and then 
consciously uncoupled as well. And the only other <laughs> example I could think of that, Taylor, is the Pachichi Trophy in Spain, which is awarded for the top scorer in Spain's La Liga. That's awarded by Marca magazine, uh, which Messi actually won for the eighth time in the most uh, recent awarding of that award. But I suppose what, what I'm asking is, why does it have so much prestige when it's basically something a magazine thought of to make that magazine more marketable? <laughs> um, my guess would be length of history combined yeah. with the consistency of the award. That's mm. That really is a big part of it is like a, as you continue to exist, it's kind of the rule with podcasting. Keep putting out the content as soon as you take a month off or two months off. People stop listening. And I think if they'd taken a few years off randomly to stop awarding it, maybe it doesn't have that, that significance and that long running significance at that. But I think at this point, it's just become an institution. And I, I have to believe that's probably why there was the coupling and then conscious uncoupling. I'd love that we're just going to keep going with that terminology. <laughs> I, my guess would be I could totally see a scenario in which they've sort of always run it this certain way. This is how it's worked. FIFA comes in and now you have the prestige of being connected to FIFA and that sort of name brand to go with it. But as we know about FIFA, they then want to make it a FIFA event and make it operate the way they want it to operate, how they want it to operate. And I can totally see the the people originally involved not being cool with that. Those original people probably not involved right now. But I can just see there being a bit of pushback because they want to retain that independence in the way it's always operated. And so now we have that again. Even if it is a popularity vote, I sort of enjoy that it's coming from this one publication as opposed to a FIFA institution. I suppose it is better than it coming from FIFA because not much that comes from FIFA, uh, Taylor, is uh, is particularly yeah. worthy. You make a very good point there. Um, Joe, let's talk about the Ballon d'Or award itself and the players who have gone dumb won it. Um, uh, I think we we know that Leo Messi won his seventh Ballon d'Or very recently. Ronaldo has five. Who are the big players in this gosh darn thing? Those two are the top two. Messi's won the most ever with seven. Ronaldo with five. As you said, Ryan, he's number two. Michael Platini has won three. Johan Cruyff has won three. And Marco Van Bastian has won three. That's the top five. So you got a three-way tie for third there. On the women's side, only three women have ever won it because, as Graham said earlier, it's only been going since 2018 and was skipped in 2020. So as we're recording in the year 2021, you got 2018, 2019, and now 2021. Ada Hedgeberg won in uh, the, the first edition back in 2018, Megan Rapino in 2019, and this year was Barcelona's Alexia Puteas. So it's a shorter list on the women's side, and it is not as prestigious of an award in and of itself uh, on that particular side, but because of it being attached to the Ballon or the original one and and being uh, given out at the same gala essentially it certainly has a lot of value and and I do think we kind of poke fun I I certainly poke fun a little bit at this idea and talk about how challenging it is to decide who to vote for and in some ways I'm glad I'm not the voter because I don't know how I would do it I guess I'd, I'd vote for Messi every year probably that's how I do it um but there's this reality that for the players it would be very cool to win something like this it would be pretty neat to go to this event and come home with a trophy of, of at least some people thinking that you're the best player in the world over a particular calendar year. So I think it is cool, especially for these folks who have won it a number of times. It's it's a pretty unique thing in the soccer world. It is very unique indeed. It tends to be awarded to a forward player as well. I think the one, the only one in recent memory that certainly comes to mind for me uh, who wasn't a forward who won the award was Fabio Cannavaro, who got it in 2006, uh, did quite well in the World Cup in that year, you may remember. Um, Graham, when we were talking about the people who have won it, we, we were going to talk about the forgotten names of the Ballon d'Or because obviously there's only been really two names uh, in recent years who have won it uh, with Luka mm-hmm. Modric excluded there. Um, 
of course. I went back and looked through my lifetime to see if there were any players who I didn't really know. Uh, that took me back to 1986, yep. and that was Igor Belanov, who was a Soviet striker with Dynamo Kiev. He beat Gary Lineker, who was at Barcelona that yeah. year, who had a rather good year that year. He was the first one that I, uh, who wasn't on my radar at all. Yeah, that's that's the name that stood out to me. I I had not heard of Igor Belanov, and as you say, there's a number of players in the voting who had very good years in 1986. You might also remember there was a tournament yeah. that happened in 1986 where a certain <laughs> player did rather well. Um, however, the, the the award at that time at that time only considered European players, so that. Mm meant that a certain Diego Maradona was not eligible for the Ballon d'Or in 1986. So that, uh, that play, I think you can, you can fairly say played a, a role in Mr. Belanov getting the, the, his hands on the Ballon d'Or that year. Well, talking about hands, there was that certain player used one of his hands quite promptly that year. Maybe that was why he didn't uh, also get that award, Graham. The, the, uh, the other name, um, that, uh, struck me as one I'd not heard of, certainly in the last several decades was Alan Simonson from 1977. He was at Borussia Mönchengladbach when he won it in 77. Uh, he was a Danish striker, the only footballer to have scored in the European Cup, UEFA Cup and Cup Winners Cup Finals, it says here. He beat Kevin Keegan and Michelle Platini to the award. Um, I'm assuming you've got a few pages of notes on Alan Simonson, Graham. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. You're uh, you're calling me out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. well. Why don't we move on to uh, something that the Ballon d'Or has brought up relatively recently, controversies and upsets. Taylor, there was quite an upset this year with Robert Lewandowski not mm. getting the award and the rationale for him not getting the award and the fact that he didn't get the award in 2020 when the award was skipped. I've said award a lot of times in that sentence, I apologise. But um, he didn't win it last year either or this year. It feels like justice was not quite done to Bobby Lev's. Yeah, I think that that is the consensus opinion amongst a lot of people who enjoy Robert Lewandowski, enjoy his goal scoring, are fans of the Bundesliga or Bayern Munich. But I think there are lots of people who would argue Lionel Messi, I think for the last year, leads La Liga in scoring, wins the Copa America with Argentina, I think scores the most goals at that tournament as well. So I think there is justification for Messi winning it. I think it's just that... Like, because he has done such absurdly good things at various points in his career, to have a good season for Messi still feels like, ah, maybe like somebody else should get that award. But I feel like a good season for Messi is still one of the best seasons you can have. That said, yeah, I mean, Robert Lewandowski scores the goals, is this like talismanic figure for Bayern Munich. And we even see how important he is in his absence when they aren't able to score the goals they do otherwise. So I think I get why people think it should have been Robert Lewandowski. I just also understand why a lot of people would still end up voting for Lionel Messi. I think there probably are biases as well. And we see that all the time with FIFA that uh, non-European countries oftentimes vote against European countries, I think, because of a feeling of elitism or a feeling of being left out. And I mean, even <laughs> if we're talking about the controversial history, I, I had in, in mind at like the 1986 award not being Diego Maradona because he wasn't European. Like, that's pretty controversial to me that the undis undisputedly the best player in the world at that time could not win that award feels sort of silly. And I do wonder how much of that is reflected in some of the voting even to this day. Yeah. I also have to believe that that's why we do have people coming from the Eastern Bloc area during the Soviet Union timeline 
maybe getting more votes than we see nowadays. I don't think a lot of Dinamo Kiev players uh, in recent memory are getting those nominations. Maybe Andrei Shevchenko, if he was playing then. I can't quite remember if he was with Kiev at that time. But aside from him, I don't think there's many. The most the most farcical thing about this year wasn't the fact that, that Messi won it over Lewandowski. There's only so much I can get worked up about that because it's Lionel Messi at the end of the day. But it was the fact that France football created a new, a new award <laughs> yeah. for striker of the year, which quite clearly was a demission. They feel quite bad that Lewandowski yeah. hasn't had something. It reminded me of uh, when Jose Mourinho created a a manager's player of the year when he wanted uh, to make a point of uh, against Paul Pogba. It seemed like with uh, giving that award to Scott McTominay. Do you remember that, Taylor? Yes. <laughs> that was, uh, oh, yeah, it was reminiscent Petty of that. Jose. Oh, Petty Jose. Yeah, the uh, the Lewandowski award for this year, they, uh, it might as well have been called the France Football Participation Award because, yeah, it was very much <laughs> given out as a, as a means of sympathy. Uh, one other controversy that just struck me is, um, as we re- recalled, uh, national team managers and captains, national team captains yep. were permitted to vote in this. And if you do remember, there was always a thing about who Ronaldo and who Messi voted for. And I seem to remember neither voted for one another in yep. top three uh, year on year, uh, which would be odd because they would surely have to recognize each other uh, as being quite good. Um, I, I've actually, I've heard Messi talk about that before. I've read him talk about it rather. Uh, and same thing for Yogi Lowe. There is an admission that it's really awkward when you know that your vote is going to be public and how scrutinized it's going to be. Mm. And I think for like Messi, it is easier or safer to just nominate your teammates at for club or country, uh, usually for club, I think, for Messi. Because if he votes for Ronaldo, then he votes for two teammates. It doesn't have the same, I think, significance. And so he's talked about how it always felt. Like, I think he said, Ronaldo is one of the best players in the world. But for me, like, that's not what I was... I forget how he phrased it. His phrasing was better than I'm making it sound. He doesn't but... have enough class. <laughs> that was it. That was the one. That was the one. But, like, Yogi Lowe talked about how, like, I there's no way I'm not going to nominate German players, but d- doesn't that defeat the purpose of this award if I am voting for people? Because otherwise I know there's going to be a whole backlash about how do you not vote for your own players? And so I think it, it's wise that they've removed that component because I think... And some of the, like the public voting behind it because I do think when you know that your vote is going to be seen, you maybe don't vote the way you would if you were just voting like discreetly, like with your heart. Yeah, let me tell you that Gordon Strachan was not too concerned about public scrutiny when he voted for Diego Costa uh, as his Ballon d'Or winner in 2015. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. That says a lot. I love Gordon Strachan so much. <laughs> that feels very much like two fingers, is what that feels like to me. <laughs> like, uh, you want me to vote for your stupid award? Fine, France, here you go. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, we've, we've done an excellent discussion here about the Ballon d'Or. There's one thing to address, though, perhaps the elephant in the room here. Michael James. Owen winning it? Yeah, we should talk about that. Okay, there's two <laughs> things to discuss then. Uh, the other one I was going to mention is whether we should actually care about this thing. Um, Sergio Ramos was quoted just this week saying, I'm not interested in the Ballon d'Or. If I wanted an individual award, I'd have played tennis. Uh, the words of a man who's never been um, in the top three of the Ballon d'Or voting uh, there. Um, I at, least admit- he, at least he hasn't bought tennis like his former uh, Spanish yeah. centre-back partner. That's true. He didn't get tennis or the Balloon World Cup. So I was going to say, PK did the Balloon World Cup, so let's hold off on the slander there, Graham, right? <laughs> yeah, Ramos very much empty-handed in this scenario. But uh, from a personal perspective, Joe, I don't really care about this award very much. I... I, I Take a note of who won it, 
but I don't think in a team sport it's terribly important. And I don't really like the fact that it comes out in January. I feel like it should be maybe a summer thing. Joe, your thoughts on whether we should care about this thing? I'm right there with you, Ryan. It's it's hard. As, as an American, I think I'm used to the idea of individual awards for team sports. So that part isn't as as hard of a pill to swallow for me as someone who has become gradually more interested in soccer over the course of my life and didn't grow up in a household that watched it, really. It, it is a natural thing. And I think I'd almost be more surprised if soccer didn't have something like this. But the part that trips me up is... It's, it's hard. There's, there's so much going on on the soccer field. It's really hard in my view to look at it and say, Oh, well, this player, this player is clearly the most influential player on the field. They're clearly the best player outside of, you know, a, a once in a lifetime talent like Lionel Messi. It's really hard to do that because if you say, Okay, let's just give it to the guy who scores the most goals, the, the one who scores the most goals. That's great, but they don't get on the ball at all if it's not brought to them in most situations. So mm. it's how do how we assign value in soccer is still something that even even folks who are brilliant data scientists haven't fully figured out yet. And so I I feel like the biggest reason that I don't care about this award is because I don't think it's actually representative of all that much, generally speaking. So it's fun and, and the the scenes are cool and players going there and, and dressing up all fancy. It's it's a it's a neat event and I think it's fun in a way to have a debate about it, although it turns toxic pretty quick. But for me <laughs> yeah. it just it doesn't matter and it's not necessarily indicative of who the actual best player is because I don't know that we can figure that out, guys. Yeah. Joe, I for in a lot of ways to me it it's similar to like what the Oscars are now. Where there's so much conversation about, like, should that have won? Should that have been nominated? Why was that nominated? It's like, it gives people talking points, and I feel like that's what ends up happening with the Ballon d'Or. Less so, let's talk about the career or the year that this player had, and let's yeah. look back on all these, the, the, like, the shortlist nominees and really see who had the best year or what they were doing. I think it's more just a list that people can then discuss, and I feel like that is representative of what the award was. I think to me when it probably had the most significance would have been when you don't have the ability to watch every single game that's happening around the world whenever you want to. And so to some extent you need the people who are watching all these games to curate this list and tell you, Hey, here are the most influential players you should be paying attention to. And you're probably getting names on there that if you only pay attention to one league or two leagues, uh, like in the 1970s, if you're only paying attention to your league, you might not be paying attention to what's happening in, in the Netherlands. But if you have this award that is telling you, here are these important players for you to keep an eye on, I think that's really useful. I think as technology grows and expands and we have access to, to more games and to be able to watch them ourselves and have conversations with people and just have kind of immediate access and information, I think that matters less having this one curated vision it still matters somewhat but i think it's not quite that level of significance yeah. for me at least maybe maybe my memory has faded but i feel like we had it right before the messi ronaldo era yeah can you imagine if michael owen had won like some a player like michael owen had won the ballon d'or now and how much of a fuss there would have been but Back back then, I, I kind of remember it being like oh michael owen won the ballon d'or that's a, that's a little bit weird but good for him yep. i guess Whereas now in the Ronaldo and Messi era where the Ballon d'Or became this measure of the greatness between the two of them and who is better at any given time and it's just taken on a relevance that I don't think is is, yeah. is warranted at all. And that's not me saying the Ballon d'Or has no value because it does have some value and players should be recognised for their brilliance and their greatness. But just don't take it too seriously is, is what I would say. And it reminds me of... Ryan, you'll, you'll know about this, but Sports Personality of the Year that we have in the UK 
which is quite literally a popularity contest in the UK hosted by the BBC for the best British sports person of the year. And it has this weird standing in the UK where people consider it a prize on a par with an actual sporting achievement itself. I'll never forget when uh, Andy Murray won his first Wimbledon title you had you had people immediately talking about him well that's him going to win sports personality of the year he's just won Wimbledon like that's the big that's the big achievement and it's similar with the Ballon d'Or you know for me Messi leading Argentina to the Copa America is a far bigger achievement and says more about him than winning the Ballon d'Or but it's just taken on a, a a life of its own in recent years yeah. You know, Graham, I really I, I really like that idea because I think there was a time when you could look at the Ballon d'Or as being more representative of of the the previous year and less so who's gonna win it between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And so you get those like George Weah winning it in ninety five is an important moment because it is the first non-European to win it, but it's also the first African to win it. And I think it, it sheds a light on African football in a way that hadn't been previously. Uh, George Weah, of course, being the second best Weah to play soccer. Uh, right on Timmy. Uh, but I, I think like even like, like maybe Luka Modric winning it in 2018 is a similar thing of like awarding it to a person based on their sort of cumulative year and not letting some of those outside influences matter as much. But I feel like overall, especially since it became Ronaldo, Messi, Messi, Ronaldo, uh, we have had more of just that sort of uh, dialogue. Well, there you have it, listener. We've just spent a few minutes denigrating the award you spent half an hour learning about. (laughs) Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contribs on this episode. Right back at you, buddy. Joseph Lowry, always a pleasure, sir. All right back at you. And Graham Rutherford, we love you. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) And thank you, listener. (laughs) Bye! (laughs) 